0: For 20% off. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And I'm really excited about this episode because I have got a young man from Ohio named Glenn Rafferty on the show. And if I could just describe him really quickly, he is a young nomadic outdoorsman. I mean, from the time he was 16, he decided, I'm going to go and hunt a bunch of different places. I'm not just going to get stuck on my home property or in my own little area, my county. In Ohio. I'm going to go all over the place and hunt as many different things as I can. And so to dive into some of his stories of things that he's already chased after all over the country is pretty awesome. Not to mention when he is at home, he's going around and knocking on hundreds of doors a year to get permission. He's passionate about getting new hunters out there. And so all around, this is an amazing episode. I'm excited. I hope you are too. Let's jump into the episode with Glenn.
1: Like, he was doing things that were just badass.
0: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dean had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show and joining me on the show is Glenn Rafferty, an outdoorsman from Ohio and man, I'm excited for this episode, man, because you, you hunt all over the place and a lot of people from the Midwest, especially anywhere east of the Mississippi, honestly, they just, I feel like people easily get stuck in their area, but you've been fortunate enough to travel all over the place. So thanks for hopping on, man. It's going to be fun. Thank you for having me. Why don't you uh, share with the listeners maybe what it is in the outdoors that you do, where you hunt, and how you got into it?
1: So I started out pretty early from my dad used to take me out and I used to sit on a bucket and fall asleep or go sit in the sand. And ever since my youngest memories of watching my dad shoot a doe, and ever since then I was so excited to get out and try to do it on my own. And growing up, I've always watched all the TV shows and never really played sports because i was always wanting to go outside and go shoot squirrels rabbits and deer and as i got older i got my driver's license i mean i hunted a lot growing up but once i turned 16 that's when the addiction really started and i started meeting a bunch of new people through tournaments ice archery tournaments i met a lot of people through there and learned a lot and just hearing their stories just really drove me crazy and just wanted to get out there and just learn and do as much as I could yeah that's sweet what
0: what was it about being 16 I mean was it that you had your license and you could actually travel all over and hunt
1: I yeah I grew up in a pretty uh pretty easy coming up my parents let me do about what I what I wanted so I can go where I wanted as long as they knew where I was and so i Anywhere I could hunt, anything that was in season, I would go and hunt from bear to turkey, uh, elk, mule deer, I've hunted all coos deer. I've been all around. I've been all around. I'm very lucky too, and I travel as much as I can.
0: Yeah. What uh what was your first out of state hunt that you did?
1: I was the the year I turned twelve years old is on my birthday, my dad drew for a youth cow elk tag. And I was able to fill my tag on the first day. We had a fabulous hunt. We've seen a lot of elk. And, I, I mean, I was – it was something so different from the Ohio Whitetail and the Ohio Turkey. And I ever since going out west for the first time, I fell in love with it out there. It's just such a different environment than it is back home. And just seeing those big animals roam around is just incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, the addiction really hits once you realize how quickly – you can get out of state and go hunt something else. But, I mean, that's a big change, elk versus, you know, whitetail in Ohio.
1: Oh, yeah. We did a little bit of West Virginia deer hunt, too, growing up. Uh, Maybe right before I went on that elk hunt, but the first big out-of-state hunt was Colorado.
0: Yeah. Is that – now, these hunts that you go on out of state, are those hunts that you do every year now, or are you still exploring new states or kind of gave up on some?
1: Uh, we try to go, or I try to go. Me and my dad usually try to go on our own hunts together once a year for something new, whether I have the gun or he has the gun. But for me personally, I'm trying to go as many different states as I can. It doesn't matter what it is for, whitetail, turkey. Uh, we're just trying to see as much land as we can and just enjoy it while we have it. Yeah. did
0: it, Did your dad hunt out of state quite a bit or was it really when you when you were kind of of age that he started exploring that stuff
1: so growing up my dad hunted a lot and right when I started hunting he slowed down just so I can start hunting more he mostly focuses on the business now and just helps me out and helps find areas for me to go but growing up my dad did hunt out west quite a bit and he's a part of a lot of out west hunts and he shot a couple he shot a nice bull out in Canada I believe uh nice 6 by 7 and I always seen that growing up and I've always wanted to
0: get out in there and chase them Man everybody's got that person in their life whether it's a parent or a neighbor that gets out and hunts and it seems kind of unattainable as a kid or even in high school for me you know, it was the landowner who let us hunt whitetails on his property. He would always come back and he's like, oh, just got back from Colorado muzzleloader season. And I'm like, what? Like you went all the way to Colorado? Isn't that like a $30,000 hunt, you know? And hearing about how easily you can get a tag out there. There's so many out-of-state tags that you can pick up. And it's not just in Colorado. There's things like that all over the place. But hearing that he would he'd sell his dairy cows and he'd go out there for a full month with his muzzleloader or with his bow, you know, depending on which year it was. And he's like, I just camp out for 30 days and I'll resupply halfway through the trip. I'll go into town and get some more rice and beans. And he would just go out there and chase after him. And that was always such a foreign concept to me. Cause just like you and just like probably a lot of people listening you know, that five gallon bucket, you got well acquainted with it growing up. You sat on it. You just waited for a deer to come hoping It was a good one. And yeah, once you start branching out, it changes everything.
1: Absolutely. And as I started getting a little older, I started really getting into like finding and chasing big, mature whitetail. Cause I live in Ohio and I'm very lucky to have a lot of permissions that I've knocked on and gotten. And we own some land ourselves and, my dad, growing up, anything that was, you know, decent, once gun season came, he'd shoot, and I'd shoot, I'll shoot my does early, but once I get my does out of the way, I'm really trying to target one Pacific deer, and it's, it's been up, and I've had a lot of ups and, up and downs, and, but we're trying to make it work, I'm trying to get better at it, but I've yep. killed a couple of bucks, last year I ended up shooting a deer that went just under 160, but uh, opening day, uh, I was watching this deer for two years. I had come in, and he was four and a half year old, roughly around like one. It's probably around one seventy, and he came in opening day, and I just I let my nerves get ahead of me, and I took a shot, and it wasn't the best shot. And I tr- I had good blood, really good blood, but we tracked it for two, three hundred yards, and just never gave up. And then we came back two days later with a group of guys and we Grizz searched it and we couldn't find it. And then a week later, I ended up having it on trail camera again. He was good. And he ended up getting killed by a neighbor later on that year. Oh,
0: man. That's when but, you go, hey, it's first blood, man. First blood, yeah. you know, that's my deer.
1: That <laughs> was a big one. He was he was nice enough to call me because me and him are about the only ones that can hunt, this, hunt anywhere near this big park. And he was nice enough to call me and I came out and checked it out and it it was pretty it was wild. It was cool though.
0: What was the verdict where uh where was your shot placement on it?
1: Actually I I hit almost right in front of the shoulder at hey, so he's he's cording away, walking away, and I hit right in front of the shoulder and it came out like through the neck, the bottom of the neck, but nothing there grabbed yeah it was just all meat.
0: oh man that's that's a bummer like i've never even had a shot at a deer that size so you know i hear the stories and the heartbreak but honestly it's you know a learning lesson and each hunt like that you grow from um what so what did last season look like for you as far as all the different hunts you did
1: last season i went i went to new mexico in october and we went out for bear because i've went on a couple bear hunts growing up but we never had luck with dogs and we went with an outfitter out in new mexico and the first day of the hunt we weren't even in new mexico for 24 hours we ended up having a big cinnamon bear come in i was able to harvest that with my bow that was that was pretty cool that was the first look at bear and just how they did it out there was a lot different and new mexico was beautiful
0: well, yeah. What was that like? Break down that hunt for me. Cause I've never, the Southeast is a pl- or the Southwest is a place that you don't necessarily think about for bear, you know, Pennsylvania, the Virginias, like, uh, Kentucky. They're all places that have great bears, even the Northeast, but like the Western States, the mountain States, it's awesome. But the Southwest, I just feel like is kind of, uh, a less known about, uh, part of the country as far as bear
1: hunting. So in New Mexico, they have the color phases, they have the cinnamons and the black bear. And I was really wanting to kill a cinnamon. And so we met up with an outfitter and we talked to him on the phone and just kind of like got the whole deal about the whole situation. And he ended up sending us a pin on onyx to go to the camp. So we started heading down to New Mexico. We drove straight there, 28 hours. And we're following this pin through the national forest, trying to find the camp and we couldn't find it for a good couple hours. It ended up being right off a trail that we just kept passing. And he kept, he put a red marker up top on a tree that we were supposed to find, but it was not very visible at all. But we got into camp that day and he was showing us bears that they shot within the weeks past. Cause he, he stays out there for months, the whole bear season, he'll stay out there and just have new people come in new people leave. And so he's talking about our, how successful it could possibly be. And, so, we all went back to the camp, we ate, and went to bed, and right in the morning, we struck up on a bear with dogs, and we were on that bear for probably two and a half hours, and the bear went tree for a while, and the dogs came run to us, this bear came run full ass, they're yelling about getting the gun, getting the gun, because I wanted to use my bow, so they came in the gun, but right when I grabbed the gun, the bear ended up treeing, and... That was, a whole, that was a whole experience right there, just watching all those dogs work and seeing the love that those dogs have doing that because being around hunting dogs, you can see how much they 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 live for it. It's just watching yeah. them tree bear and just doing what they love. That was really cool. But that bear ended up running up the tree about 35 yards and I was able to shoot it. And that was a pretty cool experience. That was the first time I ever done anything like that. And... I, I loved
0: it. Dang. I can't, I can only imagine. I mean, I've got to watch dogs work like that before, and it is the most like thrilling thing because even when you're not on something, if they strike out at all, it's just immediate. I mean, it's like having a deer, like sitting in the tree stand all day long, not seeing anything. And then all of a sudden you see a deer all the way across the field, and it just kind of reignites that like excitement in you. And hearing those dogs, even even one of them like bro, it's instant like oh is this it is this it here we go
1: and the guy the guys that run the dogs they love just watching dogs they don't even, they don't care for harvesting the animals at all they just like watching their dogs work and let them do what they love which is just amazing it was awesome experience that was pretty cool now this year's bear hunt i ended up harvesting a black bear in west virginia with a good buddy of mine mason uh, he has a farm, a family farm that they had a lot of bear on this year and they're getting the photos of on cause he runs cameras all year. And right when season's coming up early September, uh, they kept getting these bears that are walking this big acorn flat, like pretty constantly every day. So, uh, open day or the open day deer season, I ended up making my way down there and our first sit, we ended up having a bear come in right at last light oh, and just read. Rest- perfectly and we hang and hunt that day we hung our stand that night that morning hunted and ended up shooting the bear that afternoon after sitting all day and that was a whole different story and a whole different type of bear hunting which was kind of cool to see both aspects of hunting bear from tree stand to using dogs and just watching that bear work his way in and laying down and just he'd stand back up and lay back down for about an hour I was in a adrenaline rush but it ended up working his way into about 30 yards i made a perfect shot and it ran about 45 yards and piled up that oh was a gosh buck.
0: dang that that sounds incredible i've i've had a couple bear tags but never even seen a bear like and, and it's just public land i get a bear tag when i go out elk hunting hoping like oh maybe i'll see one maybe i won't who knows and Every time I talk to somebody about bear hunting, whether it's with hounds, whether it's with bait, or whether you're just out hunting and you see one bear, like something about a predator, right? Something about a big furry animal that could tear you up is just thrilling. Absolutely. So now, you did the bear hunt. What, uh, what other hunts did you have this past season?
1: This past season, I made it out to Colorado. We elk hunted for a couple of days. I had an opportunity on a bull, and some never really gave me a good shot. And we were hunting unit fifty-five. And that third season, the snow came down real early. So those elk, came, those elk are usually up high. When that snow comes down, they move down lower. Well, the season, the season before, the third season, the snow hit hard and pushed those elk down low for third third season rifle. And a lot of people harvested those elk. So we went down for fourth season and allows, there's small herds all in little patches of woods and it's really hard to find them. And I ended up helping, I was on my way out one night and I seen an old guy who shot a muley and I ended up helping him pack that mule deer out and he ended up giving me a pin to where he seen a group of elk with one bull in it. So that morning, me, my dad, and one of his buddies ended up making our way to that pin and Right at first light, we ended up seeing five cows and that bull run down. They sat into a group of pines, and there's only one way in the pines, really, and one way out. So we ended up sitting on the way out for those elk to get out about 400 yards away, and we sat there for about six hours, and after six hours, the first cow ended up walking out and run up the hill, and then it kept happening, the bull finally stepped out and gave us a shot, but it, we never really got a good shot at that bull, and they ended up making out of there too, and the next day my dad was able to harvest a cow. Oh, and that was the last day, so we ended up we're able to pack that out and head home and have a little bit of elk meat for the season. Dang man, it's it's just
0: an amazing time when you can get out to a new area and hunt. Like oh, yeah. I tell people all the time, just find something, find something, even if it's not out of state, go to a different part. Like, make a trip out of it, because, you know, waking up early and driving somewhere and hunting the day and coming back, that's fun. Oh, yeah. You actually, like, go with a couple buddies or with your dad or cousin or son or grandpa or whoever. I feel like every guy needs to have a trip or two like that a year where they can just get away.
1: That's where my love of turkey on really started, was being able to get out and do it really cheap and sleep in my truck and go to new public lands and be aggressive and trying to get it done in one or two days and then head back home, uh, this next week and I'm heading to, or this week, I'm headed to Virginia, actually go hunting birds for a couple days and on some public land and I get back and I'll be heading to West Virginia and I'll get for the Monday and Tuesday opener and I'll get back again. I leave for Michigan the next week and I'll be back in Ohio later that week to hunt. And at the end of the year, I'm heading to Wyoming and I'm really excited about that because we're hunting a new species, which is Merriam's. And oh, I've always our nice. Merriam. And my goal is to do the slam eventually one day. So this will be my foot stepping the door for getting my Merriam down. And I'm excited about that because it's just, that looks totally different than our hunting our Easterns back home in the hills of Ohio and West Virginia. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What, uh, it, I mean, You've hunted a ton of different species. What's your favorite out of all of them?
1: I'd say in between, probably turkey. There's something about chasing those birds and getting them to respond to you and getting their reaction when they come to the decoys, beat up on the decoys, and gobbling real close to you. It's just nothing like it. Yeah, that's that's probably my favorite.
0: Turkey hunting is like. It's it's a rush in that you hear them from so far away. I mean, kind of like kind of like elk, right? Yeah. If you hunt them in the rut. You just hear them from so far away, and you can tell like they're coming to me or they're not. Uh, you can call, you can communicate, and I don't know, man. It's it's growing on me lately. I used to trash talk turkeys like crazy. I I would just be like, this is the dumbest thing. This is a bunch of guys who are just bored from the winter that just need to get out and shoot something but lately i find myself getting more and more excited about season
1: yeah that that's really what i like being able to like react with the bird and kind of play his game and see what he wants to do because every bird i've realized is different you either got a bird that's going to want to come in or you got a bird that's just not want to come in at all and you either you got to work around what he wants to do not what you want to do and yeah. we've i've been pretty lucky i've been pretty successful in the Turkey Woods and been able to guide a bunch of people out around me to get their first birds or a bird in general. And last year I had a great season. I got twelve people on long beers last year, and within my I got my own two. I shot, I shot my one West Virginia, one Ohio last year. That was the only two I shot last year, but other than that, I got a bunch of kids their first turkeys last year, which was fantastic. That's one thing I'm really starting to enjoy is taking younger kids out and just getting their first animals. I've had a blast with that. Just seeing the love through their through their eyes just that's fun.
0: Yeah, when you can get somebody on their first bird, man, or their first animal, period. I've had some buddies and it's not like it's not like they've even hunted before. They've been they're like, "Yeah, man, I'd come out and shoot something." And I'm like, "All right, you know, show up." And it's funny cuz we'll go duck hunting and they're in like blue jeans. And I'm like, Oh man, that's, I I should have given you some more guidance on this, but you know, going out and helping them get their first duck or goose or coyote or rabbit, that, that spark that you just see it in their eyes, like, Oh my gosh, it's just getting back in tune with our instincts. And like, we are, we're predators, you know, we've been hunting since the beginning of time. And when you can get out there and successfully do it, there's nothing like it, especially with
1: kids. Oh yeah. A lot of people I realize nowadays are they talk like people that don't hunt, they don't really understand it until they actually go out and try it for the first time. Like that just that adrenaline rush and just being out in nature and getting away from everything, that really can change a person to loving the outdoors for and trying to become more of an outdoorsman to hunt and just be outside more.
0: Yeah. All right. How how do you go about finding all these people? I mean, are they buddies' years or you know friend of a friend that's like, hey man, I want to get on a turkey, or are you actually promoting it somewhere to take people out?
1: I don't really promote it. I got a lot of people that come up and ask me because a lot of a lot of people know me in this area, and they always will shoot me a text on Instagram or my phone number and ask if I can take them out. If I got time, I usually will take them out and get, try to get them on a bird and. I have some parents that end up texting me too to take their kids out because their dad don't hunt and they want their sons to hunt. I have more mothers that want their sons to get in hunting than their fathers actually mm. with kids. So I have a lot of mothers text me to have me take their sons out, try to get their first deer turkey. And those mothers just love it, love getting their sons out in the woods. And that's, that's really what I enjoy now. It's fun.
0: Yeah, that's sweet, man. To be able to pass that torch on, so to speak, to another generation and, Who knows, you know, like those kids, what they're going to do with, with hunting and outdoors, it could be that they start a camp where they get a bunch of people out on their first birds because they remember that with you. Or, you know, maybe they just become lifelong hunters and travel all over the place the same way that you do. Absolutely. What, uh, so you said that you've got a lot of properties there in Ohio to hunt, um, are you are you mainly hunting turkey and whitetail on those?
1: Uh, around yeah, well, I, well, I'm also big into waterfowl hunting. I got into waterfowl hunting a couple of years ago to kind of change things up. So between turkey, whitetail, and waterfowl, that's mostly what I try to get permission on around here. And the waterfowl is just kind of a thing that my dad never did, and no one around here really does. And we live in the poor lake We got a lot of lakes around us. and We got a decent amount of birds that come through and and migrate. And so we got a decent amount of fields. And I've always looked at these geese think it was stupid thing. Waterfowl hunting was stupid. <laughs> About so uh one of my good buddies up in Toledo who guides, uh, Jordan Cole, uh, they invited me to come down and try to shoot some ducks. And I went down there and I had a ball. I got home that later that week and I bought a new shotgun, decoys, and dozens and dozens of goose. Uh, decoys, not knowing what I'm doing at all and started knocking on doors and ended up my first goose hunt ever going out, ended up tag or limiting out. And that's really what did it when I was able to go do it by myself and know that I didn't just blow all this money for (laughs) nothing. And I ended up buying a boat later that year too. And from there I was camping in my truck at boat launches and sleeping in the marshes and just, drive around knocking on as many doors as I can, trying to find big feeds and just getting people out there with a bunch of buddies and try to see if we can all have some fun and shoot some birds.
0: All right, guys, I'm excited to introduce the new age of accessing private property for hunting and fishing with Infinite Outdoors. I joined the Infinite Outdoors crew on a duck hunt in Colorado this fall, and the experience was unmatched. We were able to book the property right on their app, get directions to the blind, and had the whole place to ourselves, all for a super reasonable price. Infinite Outdoors has developed a unique way to combine conservation, technology, and private land access all through their U.S.-built app and website. By working closely with landowners and on-staff biologists, they aim to bring you the best parts of accessing private land at the touch of a finger. They provide adventures for big game, turkeys, waterfowl, fly fishing, upland birds, small game, predators, and more. As yearly leases get more expensive and secluded public land gets harder to find, I believe this is the way of the future. To check it out for yourself, download the Infinite Outdoors app or visit InfiniteOutdoorsUSA.com and use code NOMADIC15 for 15% off your annual membership of $39.99. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I've got one of my really good friends. Unfortunately, he did not get into hunting when I lived there. We went to school. We were like best friends. I'm like, dude, you got to come out. You got to come out. You got to come out. I move out of state for college and he hits me up and he's like, dude, I got into hunting this year. And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? And yeah, he did the exact same thing. He's like, all right, check it out. I just bought a new rifle, a new bow, a new shotgun. I got a duck boat. I got a bunch of decoys. I bought a dog that I'm going to train. And I'm like, dude, when, I mean, when people get the bug, they really get oh, it. It is not like a tiptoe sport. You're, you're all in once you experience
1: what, what it is that we're talking about. Absolutely. And it's just it's just fun to be able to get out there with buddies by waterfought hunting. And it's just good time you got you waterfowl hunt quite a bit around oh i love it. it i i
0: absolutely love it i think at one point it was probably my number one like i just was eaten up with it but uh, being where i'm at here in southwest missouri and i say this quite a bit on the podcast but it's just yeah. not the greatest area for waterfowl like if you can successfully get birds here it like you're doing something right because there's just not a ton of them there's a decent migration, but they seem to split right around southwest Missouri. And so if you can successfully bag birds here, you can do it just about anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I think when, when I first started waterfowl hunting, I was probably in my teens and my uncle got into it. And it was just another thing to do, you know, and my na- or my cousin got into it. He started getting into competitive calling and he's now competitive calling again. And it was, he was like, all right, Hey man, this is what we're going to do. And I remember, you know, I've got these waders on that are three sizes too big for me. I'm standing in these reeds and it's like picturesque, right? A small little pocket pond just surrounded by six foot tall reeds. We're standing there. And I remember to this day, I will never forget this image or this feeling a Drake Mallard is just backflapping right in front of me. I mean, like eight feet off my barrel and he's like, take him. And I pull up and I don't know if he was being nice or if I actually was the one that shot him. But I remember standing up and pulling the trigger and that sucker folded. And I was like, I just shot something out of the air. This is the coolest thing I've ever done. And after that, I was like, man, give me a call. I'm going to start calling. He gave me like the butt gardener, double nasty, Uh, I still have it on my lanyard. Uh, first call I ever had started blowing that. And then from there I was just, I was hooked. And to this day, I mean, that's when, when I can get guys together and actually go on a trip somewhere and waterfowl hunt, there's not much that beats it. Oh, absolutely.
1: We had, we had a group of guys around my area. There's a lot of people that hunt and we had a group of guys that went out South, South Dakota this year and they went and hunted on a bunch of the, public land that's private land that's not posted because south dakota if the land's not posted you can hunt on it and they went out to south dakota and they ended up they ended up doing really good on some land they found on a couple of couple big fields they ended up shooting a, their limit of field ducks every day and a decent amount of snows and specks and they just did this on a weekend they drove down on a friday all night and hunted saturday sunday and came home they did they did good, and that's one thing I'd really want to go out and do is just do it on your own, go out west, and try to get on some different species. In Ohio, we don't get very many snows or specks. We get occasional speck that comes through or snow, but not like it is out west.
0: Yeah, the, the thing about waterfowl, man, you can find them in such crazy landscapes. I would have never guessed it. We were at like 10,000 feet in the mountains on a mountain goat hunt, and there were gadwall and teal hanging out on this, like, dammed up creek. Uh, there was a giant, like, 100-foot-long beaver dam, and then it looks like looked like a flood kind of washed even more debris in, but there were birds landing on it. And I'm like, dude, you know how cool that would be? Like, a couple buddies to pack in here, you know, hike in 10 miles, set up camp on this trout stream, and then shoot ducks and just have, like, a cast and blast for a few days. That would be amazing. What state was that in? That was in Colorado.
1: But Who drew the mountain goat tag?
0: My buddy, Sean. He's the luckiest human being alive. I'm waiting to get the call. I just know this year or next year he's going to draw his bighorn because he, he drew his moose first. He called the me car. up. Yeah, he drew his moose, and he's like, Dan, we're going moose hunting. I need you to take two weeks off of work, and I'm like, I'm all in. So I told work about it right away not the next year but the year after that he drew his mountain goat tag calls me dan i need you to take time off work we're going mountain goat hunting and then uh he didn't draw last year i think his dad put in for a bunch of stuff and he wanted to help his dad get uh a few animals and so um i think this year he put in for bighorn and we'll see if he gets it
1: we're we put in for the colorado moose uh i put in for mule deer tags uh and I drew for another point for a uh, bighorn. But mostly I'm just trying to shoot a mule deer this year with my bow, if I draw a tag or not. I drew on some harder units, so I'm probably not going to draw, but I just want to build my points up because I want to get on unit 55. That's a really good unit for big mule deer. and But it takes a lot of points to get in for a non-resident. Yeah. And we also put in for Kentucky elk, which right now that you can put in for $10 per season. It's cow tag uh bull tag and well, cow tag and bull tag for both season and gun season and it's like ten thirty bucks to put in for all three. I mean it's not very successful but if you get in is it if you get into the draw then you should shoot your bull. Shoot. I need to
0: I need to reevaluate. Is it closed now? Because I put in for Kentucky but yeah. I don't think I put in for I didn't I didn't realize that I could put in for all those. I figured it was like a one and done type of thing. I just didn't read, read up enough about it. Did you put it for the
1: Kentucky elk? Yeah. Okay. That ended, that ends, I think the 10th. Cause different than the Colorado's and about West ending dates. I'm
0: going to have to look at that and put in for, for all three, because yeah, I'm pretty sure I only put in for one thinking it was just like out West. I mean, like you can put in for multiple units and seasons and stuff like is your first, second, third choice, whatever. But, you know, I didn't realize, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how I misread that, but I'm going to have to take a look. Cause I put in for Kentucky. I put in for uh, Pennsylvania. I put in
1: for Maine Moose and then we a bunch did, of Western States. We put in for Maine too. That success. That's like, just a good, I mean, you have, everyone has their own chance of getting that tag. And as you, we have a good shot at getting that tag. It's just, draw I mean it's just lottery tech ta- or lottery system so it doesn't matter how many points you have for the main one I mean I don't know if they did do points for the main because this is the first you're putting for the main moose
0: yeah yeah you still have points and I don't know what the weight system is on it like if how they determine your your odds I guess if it's just like a straight across because I know some places they'll like multiply the amount of points you have by A certain number and then it gives you that many more chances to just kind of weigh out or you know make you feel like you've got a better chance than you probably do yeah but yeah maine would be sweet i I, i put in for all my stuff in colorado put in for a bunch of other western states and you know fingers crossed i every year i'm not like a superstitious guy i'm not the guy who thinks like oh man i'm gonna go get a lottery ticket and hopefully win But every year, for some reason, I just I'm like, this is the year, man. I'm gonna draw Colorado moose, and my wife's probably pretty
1: happy that I don't because the price tag that comes along with it. Absolutely, but that would be there. Newfoundland are two places I would want to go hunt moose at. Newfoundland is pretty cool. We got a guy who lives down the road. He's been past. He went past like three years in a row. He shot a bull. And he, it's a, like a four hour ride on a gator and they are packed in way in the back country for the thing they do a 12 day hunt. And the pictures he has when he comes back are just incredible. It's just that, that area just looks so beautiful.
0: See, that's the exciting part to me, like the adventure of it, right? You go back, my buddy Weston, he went and did a black bear hunt in Canada. And he's like, dude, we were. We were like standing on top of a four-wheeler, driving through a shallow end of a lake, like where my boots. If I didn't have like muck boots on, my feet would have gotten wet. It was all the way up over the seat. And, you know, they've got the snorkel and stuff. But hearing those stories where it's like, it's, it's an adventure just to get to where you're hunting. Those are my favorite. I, I don't know. I, I like all kinds of hunting. But to me, that just adds to it tenfold. Right. Whereas if you're just at a lodge and you walk out the back and it's like, oh, there's your elk, go ahead and shoot it. it. I'm sure I'd have a ton of fun with it, but I would much rather be in the middle of nowhere. Like you might break down, you might have to call for help. It's going to take you, you know, an hour and a half to drive back on a four wheeler to your base camp. That's my kind of hunt.
1: I love the adventure more than the harvest. I mean, the harvest is the bonus, but the stuff you get to see and stuff you got to go through to get that animal. That's what really makes the story up for me and just the adventure for me.
0: Oh yeah. I'm sure. Uh, so I get asked all the time, like for people that I talk to in person and I talk about all the hunts that I do, That are like, what do you do for a living? Because not everybody gets to travel and hunt all, all over the place. And I feel very fortunate and blessed. Uh, I'm sure you probably get that question and I've got a feeling there's listeners going, dude, what does this guy do? I mean, he's hunting all over the place all the time.
1: Uh, I'm in a high school still. It's my yep. last year. I'm, I'm a senior this year in high school, and I started this as a freshman in high school. I was 16 as a freshman, and I missed a lot of school, but our school went to online, so I was able to keep all the school on the computer, so I would do as many trips as I could, either down south in Ohio, knocking on doors, out to West Virginia, or out west, to take a week off, just go out west, and I just take off school and i would just go and just try to enjoy life as much as i can before i have to go and work my life away a little bit
0: dang i didn't realize you were still in high school i i picture you now like sitting up in a tree stand or being out west somewhere with the green screen and you've got your computer like looking for an elk and trying to convince your teacher you're sitting in a room somewhere
1: when we started doing zoom when COVID hit uh that was when my time really shined because we had that whole year of school off. It was all online, so we'd Zoom in school, or Zoom for school. And there's a lot of times where I'd I'd be hunting while I was on Zoom. I'd throw an AirPod in, and the f- first day of Ohio deer season, I went out to go fill a doe tag, and I zoomed me spot and stalking a doe <laughs> on Zoom, and I was able to shoot. I shot that deer on Zoom, spot and stalk. And my teacher told me that I was allowed to take class off for the day and go get the deer, which was, (laughs) And she wrote a whole story about that on her Facebook page about how she just loves teaching because every day is different. And then I've waterfowl hunted a lot on Zoom and turkey hunted on Zoom as well.
0: (laughs) That is awesome. I've, I've never had to be on a Zoom call when I'm out hunting, but that is, yeah, that's quite the story. Being on Zoom for class and (laughs) shooting a doe
1: that but mostly for school I would every weekend I'd try to I, mostly after school I'd go to work and after work if I had to go check cameras I would do most of that stuff if I had to in the dark and it sucked but I'd have a lot of spots where I'd be running 10 to 15 cameras and I with school and work after school it was hard for me to go and do all this stuff in the daylight so i'd hang stands in the dark and i'd go put corn out in the dark in the highway a lot of bait and i'd do everything in the dark and during the weekends i'd say my better spots for the weekends if i had to go work on them but a lot of the urban spots around here because i do do a lot of urban hunting yeah and i hunt some big land down south but a lot of my hunting's urban because a lot of these a lot of these big deer in ohio they are a lot they feel a lot more comfortable behind houses because yeah. there's not as much pressure around there. But they know when to move. They know when to move, and that's like dead middle of the night. And every once in the, every once in a while you can catch them moving with the rut coming up and just or if the weather drops cold. But a lot of times you gotta hunt those funnels behind houses. And I've had a lot of success chasing white tail in some urban spots when it's just like a funnel between houses and the deer are moving between the houses and that's that's probably my favorite type of whitetail and just being close to every, like the houses and everything, just that whole environment. is just a lot different.
0: Yeah. That, that seems like it'd be a weird feel to it, uh, being that close, but hearing about all these different hunters all over the country. And I, I know a guy here in Springfield that he does the same thing and he's like, dude, you'd be blown away by the type of deer that are hanging out right behind the McDonald's or right behind a boat dealership. And he's like, and they're so patternable, you know, they're on five acres and that's it. And so, you know, exactly where they're going for food, water and cover, and they're going to do it the same time every single day.
1: Yeah. It's just matter. You can get a good access point where they don't know you're in there. Yeah. That's the big thing about hunting these urban spots. You can get, if you can get away with getting in there and getting out without being detected, and you have a really good chance of getting shot at that deer. Yeah. This deer, my biggest deer behind me, that one, I ended up shooting him on a 15 acre piece. And I, that spot, I knew where he was bedding. And I was able to slip in because the property is just a big hillside. So I just walked up the hillside and it flattened out to a big oak flat and big, thick thorn bushes. And I was able to slip in, get my stand up. And I was like 40 yards from the bedding. And the first night I hunted him, I was sitting, I had a camera out. I got a photo of him running some does and I was out to eat. And I left the restaurant, gave my card to my buddies to pay for my food. I'm leaving. So I ran back home, grabbed my, grabbed my bow and went out to the property. And I ended up seeing this buck the day before I shot it. He ended up running into 20 yards. But I just did not have a window and I was not trying to make the mistake. because the same. I just wanted a good shot before I was going to take the shot. And I just made a decision not to shoot it, and I just let it work these does off. And I him chase these does. Had a couple other, like, 130s, 140s come in, and I was just holding off this deer. So when the sun started going down. I was like, I'm going to get out early. I'm not trying to bust anything for the morning. So I got out of the stand early, and that next morning was when time changed, and I didn't realize that. So I ended up getting in the stand a little bit later than I'd like to, and that was a cold, crisp morning. It was actually pretty slow. I didn't see my first deer until about 9 o'clock. And by 9 o'clock, I had a group does work his way in. And I heard something, like, rustling in the back. And I looked back, and all I see is just him coming up the hill. And he came running over, ran these does right under my tree stand. And I ended up shooting this deer right under my tree stand, about one yard away. And he ended up running up the hill and expiring up there, but... That was one of the most adrenaline-filled haunts.
0: All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now I went down there with Rogue Texan Outfitters, and Landon and Brandon, the owners, put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me, and it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past, and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling, so if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. Yeah. Jeez, man. That is, that's nuts. I, I have not urban hunted yet. We've actually got a deal here in town. It's the Springfield nature center and they give out like a handful of tags every year. You have to apply for it and you can build points, but I've never hunted there. I used to hike there all the time and you walk around and it's hilarious because you'll be three feet from deer. Like you're on the trail And these deer are so used to people. And part of me is like, man, there's no, it's not really a chess match at all. Like you've, you've got a bow in hand and you could literally just walk around on the trails until you see a deer that you want to shoot. But there are some monsters that get pulled out of that, that property every single year. And so I'm like, would it be worth it to draw, you know, or would I feel like I didn't do enough? Whereas what you're talking about, these things are used to human presence but not used to pressure as far as hunting goes and so like you walk in there at the wrong time and you bump them out who knows what they're going to do i mean
1: if you end up bumping one of these deer out i've noticed that either they go strictly nocturnal or they just disappear yeah and and usually if you only got one shot of these deer which i've hunted some bigger parties down south where i've had mistake happen and i've ended up having the deer come back in these urban spots if they feel any pressure at all they just get out of there. Yeah, man.
0: I, I've i got to try that. I've got to start asking for permission around here because I know there's a lot of spots real close to town or in town where, I mean, it's like you can't, you can't go a night without seeing a deer. You just drive by a come and go gas station and there's deer all over in the field next
1: to it. That's how it is around here. There's a couple of spots up north of us and you drive around this developments and there's one fifties, one sixties bed down on sidewalks, but oh, nobody. It. And it is, it's just cool to go out there and watch them. But there are some giants up there that they have no pressure on. And if you can slip into a spot to be able to hunt them, then you would shoot a big one every year. Yeah. There's
0: all no up there. Are you, uh, this year, do you have a group of bucks that you've been following that you're going after this, this season?
1: This year was my probably my hardest season for having pre big mature whitetail. I had a couple deer that I was falling that were about in the one forty five one fifties, but they were pretty much nocturnal. They would never break daylight, and they were mostly spent a lot of their time on the neighbor property and would not come over to my property till about sundown. And when I was on my way down to Colorado, I had a couple of my hitless deer show up in daylight of as only did. I had those deer show up in daylight was when I was in Colorado. So when I got back home, I started hunting a new property. I was down South, had no history with it, had a couple nice deer show up. As season started getting closer to an ending, I ended up having a decent one thirties eight point come out. And I was able to shoot that. I was happy with that. Cause I was ready to go out and start waterfowl hunting. Cause it's hard to get out waterfowl hunt and deer hunt all at the same time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, it's tough. The fall really throws you some curveballs when it comes to different species being open because like you want to hunt them all. But for me, it's really hard to walk away. If I see a deer, like a mature buck in daylight, like it doesn't matter what trip I've got planned. My problem is I always, same thing with you. I'm heading out to Colorado to hunt something. I'm heading out to a different state to hunt something. And all of a sudden that's when the buck shows up in daylight right in front of my stand and it drives me freaking crazy it's like they know it's like they watch me drive out of town and they're like all right we're free we're clear we can hang out until he gets
1: back i had to turn my camera off this year when that happened because he stayed around there for about two hours past my stand about six or so i just shut notifications off it hurt too bad i'm going to colorado we're gonna chase him after some elk and Enjoy this time, not worry about the white tail back home because I ended up starting stressing about it, trying to trying to get in front of one of these whitetails where it, it drives me nuts if I can't get a chance. And this year they whooped my butt. They did. Yeah.
0: Dang, man. That sucks. Are you uh are you filming your hunts or documenting them somewhere?
1: This was my first year ever starting to film. And the one day I didn't bring my camera out is when I ended up shooting that buck. <laughs> but I started filming, I filmed my bear hunt. I filmed a couple of kids shoot their first deer and I'm starting to get into it. It's just hard to learn that discipline of taking that camera out, setting it up and just a whole new responsibility going out in the woods is learning to film and worrying about the camera before the shot. It's just, I'm not that good at it yet, but I'm trying to get better at it. I got to get a better camera on my camera on my guys. Just some cheapy and it moves a lot and about. I I did
0: that for a couple of years. I had a, like a cheap, I I don't know if I found found it at Walmart or what, but I mean, it's like a mojo stick, like bolted together, you know, you screw it into the tree and then it just pivots and it hardly does its job. And, uh, yeah, I ended up getting a nicer camera arm, but I'm still, I still struggle. Like I had to hire my buddy. He's going to start following me around on hunts because I get out there. And as soon as a deer or any animal shows up, that camera might as well not even exist. I'm just like, it's go time. I'm going to shoot this thing. And I always forget to hit record.
1: Yeah. I, I'm just not good. I have really, I have good, I'm good buddies with the legendary TV show. They have a hunting show on the outdoors channel. They live not too far, far from me. And they care wave. They were just down uh, Florida this past week. And they didn't shoot a bird this weekend because they wasn't on film. So they wouldn't shoot it. And I, I, I just don't have that discipline. I, if I had an opportunity on a bird, I'm going to take it, and I would not worry about the camera. See, and I
0: don't understand that. I mean, if if you go down there to hunt, and it's like, all right, I can either get a bird and not get it on camera, or not get a bird and still have no footage, I'm shooting the bird. You know, at least you don't come back empty-handed.
1: Yeah, at this point, for them, it's kind of their job now. So I yeah. guess that But I, I don't got that discipline of trying to worry about the camera more than the hunt itself. I'd I'd rather try to enjoy it in person more than the camera. But yeah, I'm gonna try to film my next couple of whitetail hunts. I'm gonna film all this turkey season. I'm gonna try to film Wyoming and everywhere I go this year, just trying to get better at it. But just so I have something to remember those moments later on, I'll post them on YouTube. But
0: yeah, are you now? I mean, you get to travel a bunch and hunt a bunch of different things. So you're checking things off your list every Mm -hmm. year, it seems like. What's your number one? Like, if I said, this is it, man. Like, you get any hunt this year, where are you going? What are you hunting? And what weapon are you using?
1: Bighorn sheep, Colorado. Absolutely. Number one. Any sheep species, but bighorn's number one. Uh, If I had the opportunity to go for bighorn, I'm bringing a rifle. Because that's, that's a once-in-a-lifetime hunt that would be for, for me, at least. And going out for those, that is just a total different environment. Being up in the high country, chasing those would be absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah. Sheep, I mean, I hear people who get that sheep bug, and they just want to go. And they, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to do it. Mm-hmm. But for me, I just don't know there's so many unknowns with it, I think is what it is. Like the gear that you use is different. You know, you're not taking the same stuff as you would just elk hunting. You're, you're having to traverse terrain that like, I think elk hunting's hard sometimes where I'm like, man, this is tough. Yeah. dude. <laughs> I mean, that is as gnarly as it gets. Like the fact that these animals survive up there, same with mountain goats. Like the fact that they can survive in some of these places blows my mind.
1: Some of those locations I see mount I've seen mountain goats and some of the locations seeing them on the silos rocky hills. It's just incredible how they get around in that area. Yeah,
0: I think it'd be sweet for sure. I, I'd be afraid to catch the sheep bug because that's the type of thing. Like I, I don't want to get hooked on something that I'm only going to be able to do once in my life or you know, I I say that. You can draw a sheep tag in a lot of different states now, but the price tag that comes with that, the amount of time that comes with that, I mean, the physical shape, like you have to stay in shape. There, You're not going out there as a, you know, super heavy dude climbing up a mountain in your 60s. Someone's probably going to say something and be like, no, that's my uncle, he does that every year. But I just can't imagine even me in the physical shape that I'm in now, I work out almost every day. To go up and chase those sheep around, that is intimidating.
1: I mean, I'm I'm still young, but I'd, I'd have to put in some work before I went out there because that's a total different terrain than what I'm used to, especially the air. You're up that high. The air is so much thinner. And, and you got to – that would just be a lot harder just on yourself, not even physically, but mentally as well.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm up for a good challenge. I That's one of my favorite parts about hunting is those moments where you're like, dude, this is never going to end. I feel like I'm going to die right now. But then you look back on it and it's 100% worth it and you wouldn't trade it for the world. So I'm not going to shy away from a challenge like that. But sheep is probably the thing I am most intimidated by as far yeah. as actually getting out there and, and trying to envision succeeding in it.
1: Another hunt we were kind of looking at is the... Hawaii axis deer that would be a really cool one they have a huge really big population of them and they're all at like different stages some are in velvet and some are hard horned and that would be a really cool hunt and those are actually really successful hunts with the rifle but with bow if you go out there at i guess the success rate's like only like five percent of the bow out there because it's just Jeez. those those animals are in those big wide open flats and it's just hard to get close to them yeah, that would be
0: you. fun. I, I'd i be all about that hunt. My thing, the other thing I think about when traveling and hunting is meat preservation, right? So I get kind of intimidated by that. Like, where, where am I going to be able to take this thing, especially in Hawaii? You know, odds are you're not going to be flying out there with a couple big Yeti 100-quart coolers. Uh, and so to figure out, okay, how am I going to preserve this meat? Is there a processor that's going to take it? What about shipping. the mount, all of that stuff? But in most of these places for destination hunts, there's a, a local place to do it. It just takes a little bit more time and and research.
1: A lot of that is like the shipping's the most expensive part. Shipping all that meat bag, shipping the hide back, or getting them out of there and shipping it back to home. That's where a lot of the money is in for those out of state, like real exotic places. See, I,
0: I say I cracked the code. It's I think it's probably a pretty well-known thing at this point. When we hunted Alaska and we went fishing up there, I figured out that uh, you can basically take your meat in somewhere, take your fish in somewhere. They'll bag it up. They'll vacuum seal it. They'll freeze it for you. They'll package it up in a cardboard box with a styrofoam insert, and it'll stay frozen. But you can just pay for an extra bag on the airline and fly back with it as an additional bag. And so we, it's funny because in Alaska, you go to the airport and almost every airport you go to there, you'll see guys with like the big luggage carts. I mean, they're pushing it around and it's just loaded with these white boxes. And you know, man, that guy really got into salmon. Oh, he got, he was successful with his moose, whatever. And it's fun because you talk to all those people. It's like, Hey man, what'd you come up here for? And they tell you, they tell you what they shot, what they caught and uh, it's just a really cool environment up there. I don't think every state's going to be like that. But Alaska, they make it very easy and very
1: friendly for non-residents. Alaska is one place I would like to go look, and, look at and just explore. Not even just on the hunting ex- aspect, but also just to explore and hike around. Because I've seen photos of Alaska, and it is beautiful.
0: Yeah, I've only I've only got to explore Kodiak. And it was unreal. I would recommend it to everybody. And the hunting, the fishing, the wildlife viewing, everything about it is insane. In fact, the guy that we took, we we took a bush plane and it was like a bear viewing thing. And he informed us as we're flying over these remote lakes in like southwest Kodiak Island. He's like, oh, you see that cabin down there? We're like, yeah. He's like, that's owned by the state and you can rent that cabin out, and I was like, no way, and he's like, yeah, you know, you got to hire a bush pilot, and we'll drop you on the lake, we'll pull it right up to the, right up to the cabin, he's like, there's a bear box outside, you have to keep all of your stuff in it, there's no running water, you collect and filter your water, and he's going through all of this stuff, he's like, yeah, it's propane, Uh, everything's propane inside, we don't have electricity on these spots, and I'm like, dang, how much is it per night, and he's like, Oh, they're about 39 bucks a night. And I was like, what? You mean I can like fly up here, come salmon fish in this remote lake in the middle of nowhere, be surrounded by grizzly bears and black tailed deer for 39 bucks a night. And so ever since then, I've regretted my bachelor party because I was like, we stayed local. I'm like, dude, that would be the most epic bachelor party ever to go fish in Alaska at a remote cabin in the middle
1: of nowhere. Did you guys just fish for salmon or did you guys fish for halibut at all?
0: We fished for everything. Yeah. So we fished for salmon, halibut, lingcod, rockfish. Um, Man, I can't, I have no idea how many, how many pounds of fish we brought back. It had to have been a couple hundred pounds of fish and we didn't. So that, that trip and that lake that we were on, that was just for a bear viewing deal, but we saw like 50 something grizzly bears that day. We were, I was yards from a sow and cubs. Like we had cubs 10 yards in front of us playing for an hour and a half while their mom was catching fish, bringing them to shore. They'd go over, take it from her, eat everything they could, and they'd go back to wrestling right in front of us. Uh, And, I mean, you see whales up there. Like we had whales slapping their tail right next to us. There's sea lions or seals, um, porpoises. There's sharks. Like I didn't think Alaska was a place that had sharks, right? And yeah. we're we're catching fish, and all of a sudden you're like, I mean, just reeling. The rod is bent in half, and then all of a sudden it goes slack. And he's like, "Yep, another shark just got your fish." I'm like, "A shark, really?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, dude. There's sharks all over. They'll follow these boats around and just steal the fish off their lines." And yeah. it's it's just the most wild place. Everybody needs to check out Alaska.
1: What did halibut taste like?
0: It was phenomenal, and it was huge. I don't know. I don't remember how many pounds he estimated that that thing weighed, but watching Jonathan, that one of the guys that I went with, yes. he was reeling that in and it was like the most exciting and like terrifying look on his face. Just like his forearms are burning, but he just can't wait to see this thing. Uh, but yeah, halibut was good. Yellow eye was amazing. Um, yes. The salmon's always good. Rockfish is good. It's, it's just a sportsman paradise up there. Absolutely.
1: During the off season, we, we try to make our way down to the Keys every year, and we do a lot of offshore offshore fishing out there and shark fishing out there and catching those groupers and snappers off the wreck. That's, that's a blast out there, too, doing that.
0: See, Alaska is the only place I've ever, like, deep-sea fished, and so I want to get down to Florida. I mean, we go to Florida all the time, and the fact that I haven't really hunted or fished anything in Florida, I still don't understand why I made that choice, but I can't wait to get down there. Seeing those Goliath grouper, Oh, yeah. Well, my problem is, I just, I get, I have such an addictive personality to where, like, if I get into something, I'm going all in. So if I start shark fishing, if I go spe- spear fishing, I think is the coolest thing ever. And I haven't done it yet, but I want to so bad. And first time this year. Oh, man. That, that just blows my mind. But I will say, I'm not afraid of sharks. But yeah. those Goliath grouper are the most terrifying fish I think I've ever seen. Like the size of them, they could just swallow you whole.
1: They are they actually open up a tagging system so you can harvest one a year or something like that. Or it's a draw system so you can actually harvest one and take it back and eat it. That would be an awesome thing to go and do is catch a big one and go and harvest it. And, because there's a lot of meat on those. Oh, yeah. And that, that
0: was halibut too. Halibut just had so much meat. You get four monster fillets off of them. And I, I did not catch one. I haven't caught one in the two trips that I've been up there, but I can't wait to actually get up there and do it. Yeah. What, uh, before, before we hop off, I know we're coming up on an hour. Um, before we all hop off, why don't you share with the listeners where they can find you, where they can follow along, where they can see some of the footage that you, that you took this last
1: season? Well, you can always follow my Instagram on Raff underscore boo. Uh, I post most of my stuff on there, just wild game and everything I hunt and all my travels. Uh, also got a little YouTube channel started it's called next generation outdoors. And we've posted a couple videos there, but we're trying to get some more videos going to be able to post up there. We got a video of my, one of my buddies Mason shooting a 200 inch white sail out and, in Texas this year, and that was a pretty cool experience. So that should be up eventually. We've had the footage for quite a bit. We just gotta get sit down and actually edit it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see that, dude. A 200 inch whitetail, man, that's no joke. Like, yeah seeing seeing the statistics. If you look at the statistics of how many people actually shoot like a Boone and Crockett or a Pope and Young buck with their bow, it's very low. I mean, there it's like 10. percent of people in their lifetime ever even shoot that and so then i can only imagine what the what the odds of shooting a 200 incher
1: are his goal was just to go down and shoot like a 140s and he ended up shoot uh, He drew back on like a 140s and his bow ended up hitting the blind or something his arrow went right over its back and i think the next day that deer ended up coming in they never seen it before on the farm and he's able to she absolutely pinwheeled it and went like 40 yards and crashed yeah that was a big texas year
0: yeah that would be sweet well dude i appreciate you hopping on i feel like we could swap stories for quite a while but uh good luck this season with all your upcoming hunts and uh we'll keep in touch man we'll have to get together and do a hunt at some point
1: absolutely thank you